fun was that? That band is talented, aren't they? Holy moly. I'll tell you, I, this past week, and especially just this weekend, I've just been super grateful for a lot of things. Um, obviously grateful for the great people that we get to work with here every week. Grateful for the house and all that's going on there. Um, Friday night, a lot of you guys were at uh, the Burr Star Wedding, um, which was super fun to kids that uh, kind of grew up here at Wellspring getting married. Got another one of those weddings. Um, Peyton Howitt and Gage Stagner coming up next weekend. It's just super fun to know both the family so well and, and to be a part of that and sharing that experience and so to see so many of you all there as well. So it's just been a great, a great weekend. So um, I know coming off May, we're all kind of exhausted, right? So um, it was so good this weekend to just celebrate some things and just kind of get some life back into me. So um, so as I mentioned, we've been going through the Apostles' Creed, and, and as we make our th- way through kind of line by line each week, uh, last week I kind of talked about what our ultimate goal is here. As, as we take a look at each statement of the Creed is to then begin to ask the question, what should our life look like because we say, I believe? What should our life look like because we say, I believe? And this, this question of do our actions and our words line up? Because when that happens in your life, that's called integrity. And I'm pretty sure that most of us want to be known as people of integrity. So we're going to continue to kind of fight that battle of trying to figure out how do we get what we say we believe and what we do to line up. So we've looked at what it means for our life to say, I believe in God, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And what our life looks like because we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord. And as we've mentioned, the stakes were high in the Roman Empire with the first church as they began to first declare these words. We've talked about that the Apostles' Creed was a a kind of a baptismal statement of faith. And that when you said In the second century AD, I believe these things about God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and what it means to be saved, that you were putting yourself in direct opposition to the empire and also in direct opposition to your Jewish faith heritage. And either one of those groups of people, the Romans, the Jewish church leaders, could kill you for saying those things. It was a potential death uh, sentence if you said that. So as we look at the next statement of the creed today, we're going to be kind of potentially colliding with this normal um, human thing that we do, this tendency we have to doubt. Anyone here ever doubt God? Every hand should be up, right? Unless you're lying. We doubt God a lot. We doubt his goodness. We doubt that he has everything under control. We doubt that he cares about Uh, the trivial circumstances of our life. We doubt that he knows our name, our heart, all those things. And we do it, we all do it from time to time. And it's normal. Why is it normal to doubt God? I'm asking a lot of questions today, so let's make this quick. Why is it normal to doubt God? I don't even know where that's coming from. Yeah. Because what now? Okay, yeah, maybe he wants you to wonder and wrestle a little bit, yeah. Why else? I mean, why do you? Why do you doubt God sometimes? 
His plan isn't always what your plan is. Our experiences tell us that people just let us down. Our experience sometimes tell us that, not just people, but we feel like sometimes God lets us down, right? We know what it's like to feel abandoned, to feel alone. We're expecting God to show up in this particular situation, and it feels like he doesn't. And then we're expecting, sometimes we see God doing things in other people's lives, but not in ours, seemingly. So we don't understand sometimes why he shows up when he does, why he doesn't show up when we think he should, right? And all of those things kind of conspire to leave us doubting sometimes. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. But sometimes when life roughs, roughs us up a little bit, we don't feel very confident. We don't feel very sure of the unseen things of God. And so I believe that it's good to wrestle. It's good to doubt. It's good to question because it shows that we're engaging. And Scripture is filled with stories of heroes of the faith that came up against the same doubts that we've all experienced. So when we doubt, we are not alone. (laughs) We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, as the Bible says. So today, as we get to today's statement, it's going to be, it's going to feel like Christmas in June, okay? Uh, Because today we're going to be looking at the very nature of who Jesus is. So kind of a tagline at the end of the line we looked at last week that talked about, you know, Jesus Christ, that he's God's only son, that he's our Lord, was this statement It says he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So we're going to be going back and looking at the birth accounts of Christ again. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 1. It's page 875. Matthew 1, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Nothing weird there, right? It's all weird, all right? Matthew is written from the perspective of Joseph. So here's this young man who's kind of done all the right things. He's betrothed to marry this this woman, uh, Mary. And it says, Scripture says that she turns up pregnant by the Holy Spirit, right? And we can see the doubt in Joseph, can't we? I mean, he wants out. His initial reaction is, I'll just divorce her, move on with my life. He kind of tries to do the honorable thing. 
And this was his plan until God kind of showed up and confirmed the miraculous pregnancy. And to his credit, despite what I'm sure was a lot of public kind of head scratching and shame and gossip going on around him, Joseph takes Mary home to be his wife and receives Jesus as his own son. Now, the Gospel of Luke tells a similar story, but from the perspective of Mary. So I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 1. Page 930, starting in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? I think that's the third time they've said the word virgin so far. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Nothing weird there, right? Right? It's all weird, guys. A virgin impregnated by the Holy Spirit, whatever that means, right? The entrance of God in the flesh onto the scene of humanity is riddled in details that would send most of us over the edge. In fact, God, because he knew that this was such startling news to those involved, he had to send two angels from heaven to let those folks know, hey, no, this is legit, Okay? God invades humanity by way of the miraculous, and and Jesus is unique. There's several different miraculous births in or pregnancies in Scripture, but they're all pretty much around this whole idea of just childlessness or people that are too old to conceive anymore. So you've got Abraham and Sarah who in their old age give birth to Isaac, right, which is kind of this miraculous child. Right here in the midst of this, where we see that Mary's cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah are old and haven't had any kids, and God blesses them with their son, John the Baptist. But Jesus was the only one born of a virgin. And so he is unique amongst all people ever born. And before we can believe that Jesus died on the cross and canceled out the sin of all of humanity and that God raised Jesus from the dead, we first have to believe and embrace his miraculous virgin birth. And that's no small leap of faith because Jesus' parents were just like us. <laughs> they were confused. They were upset. Neither of them in the story were like, oh, cool, man, this is great. Good idea, Jesus. This will be awesome. Yeah, I mean, we'll just have a kid. Yeah, it'll look weird. Nobody will understand why I'm pregnant and I'll be ridiculed. Yeah, sign me up, Right. No, they they start asking the logical questions. Mary says, well, how can this be? (laughs) 
I know I've never been with a man. Joseph was so distraught that he starts making plans to divorce her. And we can get stuck in those places too, can't we? We're dealing with a supernatural God. But so often we see through a natural, rational lens. We we view life that way. (laughs) But we're dealing with the supernatural God. And, And so it's confusing because much of what God does and what he asks us to do doesn't make sense according to the world's logic. I love this story about C.S. Lewis. It says, you remember the story of C.S. Lewis at Christmas time. His window was open at the university. A skeptical faculty member who was a friend and acquaintance was visiting him in his office. And below them, there were carolers singing Christmas carols. Some of the carols that they were singing were about the virgin birth. This friend shook his head knowingly to C.S. Lewis. And he said, aren't you glad that we know better than they And C.S. Lewis said, pardon me? I'm not sure what you're speaking of. He said, well, aren't you glad that we know that virgins don't have babies? C.S. Lewis paused for a moment and said, don't you think they knew that too? Isn't that the whole point? If you don't know, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, was a skeptic uh, before, but I love what he said. I mean, that is the whole point, right? They all knew how ridiculous this was. They get it. And it's all weird for sure, but it wasn't outside the realm of possibility. You see, Joseph and Mary were were both faithful Jews who would have known Scripture. They would have known the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, the Savior that was going to come and rescue the people of Israel. And they would have known what was said about how that Savior was going to come. So here's what Isaiah 7.14 says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. So Emmanuel means God with us, right? Jesus with us. So 700 years before, you know, what's going on in Matthew and Luke, Jesus' actual human birth takes place, the prophet's telling us exactly how it's all going to happen. And it's unfolding exactly like it was prophesied. It will be a miraculous virgin birth. So things are happening just like Scripture said it would. Joseph and Mary, as good, faithful Jews, would have known the story, would have probably believed the story. Yep, that's how it's going to happen. So what's the problem then? Why is there so much doubt and wrestling and questions? God said it was going to happen. It's happening What's the problem? What do you guys think? Again, I'm asking a lot of questions today. Let's be quick, folks. What do you think the problem is? Yeah. 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 They're just normal people, right? Why would it be me? That, that, that gets chosen to do this, right? It all sounds great until you're the pregnant virgin, right? <laughs> it all sounds great until you're the fiance of the pregnant virgin. Don't we all struggle to believe that God could do something amazing in and through us? We all struggle to believe that. 
We don't see ourselves as special. Let's talk for a moment about why belief in the virgin birth of Jesus is so significant. Okay? So first, the virgin birth explains how Jesus can be both fully God and fully man. Okay? Which is a huge doctrinal thing of the Christian faith. There is this incredibly mysterious blending of the miraculous and the everyday normal of Jesus' birth. Right? On the one hand, you've got this knowledge that, that he is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's where we get his divinity, that, that only, you can only be divine if that's happening. Okay? But then you've got this other part of his uh, pregnancy and delivery that's just like every other human, like all of us came into the world, right? So that, that kind of speaks to the human side of Jesus as well. His miraculous conception also explains Jesus' sinless nature, okay? His life was not under the same curse as all of us because he was not born of the seed of man. Paul talks about and explains the importance of this reality in 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is what he writes. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, only a sinless man could stand before a holy God and pay the penalty for our iniquity. Secondly, our embrace of the virgin birth narrative is, in, is critical for us in order for us to embrace all other uh, kind of miraculous things uh, that happen in the Gospels. If, if God can do that, if he can make somebody pregnant through the Holy Spirit, then he can do about anything he wants, okay? And so then all of a sudden, like, Jesus healing a blind person seems like kind of small potatoes compared to supernatural impregnation of a woman, Right? Third, as we mentioned before, the virgin birth is a direct fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. So to deny its possibility is to put in question all other prophecies about the Messiah. And so it's kind of like, you know, taking a link out of a chain and it all kind of crumbles. If we don't believe this, then everything else doesn't fall in line and make sense either. And finally, and maybe most importantly, if we fail to believe it, then what else in the Bible do we throw out? And making ourselves the judge of which parts of Scripture are to be taken literally and which aren't is a slippery slope. And I'm not sure I want to be the one making those decisions. And I love the ending of the Luke narrative that we read. Luke 1.37, the angel says to Mary, For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Remember, earlier in the creed, we said we believe in God Almighty. If he wants to impregnate a virgin supernaturally, he will. If he wants to raise somebody from the dead, he can. If he wants to redeem and rescue each one of us from sin and make us into a completely new creation, he will, and he has. Many of us can attest to the miraculous transformation that's happened in our own souls and our life. And for me personally, I get a lot of confidence from Scripture. I want you to turn to the book of Job, if you could. Um, it's going to be Job 26, page 479. 
Anybody, when you became a Christian and you didn't go to church growing up, did you think it was Job, the book of Job? Anybody out there? It's like, what? Who's, why is that called Job? Yeah. Job 26, it's page 479. And Job is an amazing book about the miraculous power of God. And in chapter 26, starting in verse 7, Job is talking about God, he says, he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake, aghast at his rebuke. By his power, he churned up the sea. By his wisdom, he cut Rahab to pieces. By his breath, the skies became fair. His hand pierced the gliding serpent. And these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? Man, I love that imagery. These are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. What is Job trying to say there in that little sentence I just repeated? What is he trying to say? I'm, I'm going to just say right now, it's got to be from this row back. I want to hear from the people in the back. All right? What is he trying to say? These are but just the... The outer fringe. Yeah, Rob? Okay. He's all powerful and he's interested in us individually at the same time. What else? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very small portion of his glory, right? Like the fringe on a jacket isn't the main thing, right? It's just the very bottom part, right? How faint is the whisper, right? of all that he can do. We, we're just barely scratching the surface. These things that we mentioned about how he makes the earth just hang there in the sky, how the clouds are full of water, but they don't somehow fall to the ground. That's just a, a smidge of the power of God. Stuff that blows our human mind is not even scratching the surface of what God's capable of. You see, God... God doesn't have to obey the rules of nature because he created nature. He makes the rules. So with this phrase, was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, we see God's initiating movement towards his rebellious creation. And at the same time, he's pushing out all impossibilities. All impossibilities. And we know God's miraculous abilities because of both belief and experience. I've personally seen God do amazing things, not only in my life, but in the lives of others in the world around me. I've seen him save sinners. I've seen him heal sick people and addicted people and the broken and the hopeless. I've seen him provide emotionally, physically, financially. I've seen the Royals win two World Series. In my lifetime, there is a God, people. And if I opened the mic 
And I just said, hey, come line up. Tell me your miraculous God story. We could be here all day. So if we say, I believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, then what will our life look like? That's the important step we need to consider. So I want to take a a moment and ponder a few questions. Put a mirror up on the screen. What does believing in God's power to do the miraculous through the fully God and fully human Jesus mean for how we see ourselves? What does it mean for how we see others? What does it mean for how we see and engage with the world? I want you to think about that. And if if maybe with one of those questions, something pops into your head, we'll, we'll share our answers here in just a second. I want you to think about that. Anything come into mind for you in any one of those three categories? Randy? Okay, the first one is that um, I am not my own property. I'm God's property, and how I take care of God's temple is also how I serve God. What does it mean for how I see others? God created you for his enjoyment, not for my pleasure, my judgment, or my understanding my responsibility because God loves me so much to love you as much as he loves me to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. What does it mean how I engage the world? Is to understand the world is full of sin and everybody needs to know that there's a God that loves them and make that message available. Cool. Great job. Good job, Randy. Thank you. <laughs> really good job. He talked about the importance of understanding how much we are loved and created in the image of God. And so then, as we look at other people around us, that we have to believe that all these people are created in the image of God and loved as well, and worthy of his love and worthy of hearing the message of Christ, okay? And so that's why we engage our world. We, we want them desperately to know about the love of God. Anybody else have other things to add to that? Oh, up in the balcony. Yes, Dave. Yeah. Right. 
So he's talking about making that transition, that step from believing, you know, it's one thing to say, I believe these things about God. It's another thing to say that I believe these things about me. And it's like this series of steps of like dominoes that fall, right? If we say we believe this, you know, that God created the world, you know, um, and uh, I've heard this, this, I was reading through some other uh, commentaries this week, and this one guy said that we all, we all have our, we all choose our virgin birth story. So Christians believe in the virgin birth of Christ. Materialists are people that only believe in material things, right? So they wouldn't believe in the supernatural. They believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos, that something appeared from nothing. So it's like you, we all believe in a virgin birth. Just pick, pick your virgin birth. <laughs> What's it going to be? That was an interesting thought. But it's these series of dominoes that, so if, if God can do this, God can create the world from nothing, create humanity, and then create the Son in his image, fully God, fully human, right? Miraculously through conceived, then he can put the Holy Spirit in us. He can redeem us, put himself in us. And there's consequences of each one of those things for how we live our life and what we believe and how we operate and how we engage in the perspective that we have on the world that we live in. It's different when we understand that God is in us. That should change. That should, that's a game changer, as they say, right? Huge game changer. And so let's, let's wrestle with this just a little bit more. What do we do when we lose sight of it all? When the circumstances of life, even though we say we believe these things, we know these things about ourselves, but life just kind of beats us down. What do we do? Well, I think we have to look for one as an example to the Psalms of David as our example. So turn to Psalm 42, page 515. Psalm 42, page 515, starting in verse 5, David writes this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Skip down to verse 11. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. What is David doing here? He's talking to himself, right? And he's trying to win the war of words within his own soul. He's doing battle. And sometimes we need to do the same. When we are doubting God's goodness and his power and his ability to intervene in our life, we have to remind ourselves what Scripture says is true about who God is, about his intentions towards us, about who we are in Christ. We have to remember the stories in our life. We have to look back and say, oh man, I know God showed up here, 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 and here. Even if I don't feel that now, that doesn't change the truth and reality of those things. And maybe more importantly than us remembering is that we have this amazing uh, privilege and responsibility to help one another remember. I was reading through this book, uh, the interns are reading through, and it's called Waking the Dead. It's one of my favorite books of all time. But the author was talking about his small group and, and how they knew one another's stories, right? Because they shared life and they were shared intimate details. And this, this girl that's in his group said this, what makes this community so powerful is that you remember my story for me. 
I don't have to carry the burden of remembering alone. Sometimes we are so lost and hurting and we aren't thinking straight. And somebody else who loves us and knows us and is battling with us has to come along and say, hey, you need to remember. Remember what's true about God. Remember what's true about you. Guys, as Christians, we believe in a God who does miraculous things. We believe in a God who intervenes in humanity to rescue and redeem. We believe in a Savior who is both fully God and fully man, which means he has both the power to change our circumstances and the empathy to feel and understand our pain when life gets hard and confusing. Nothing is impossible for our God. He can, will, and desires to use us to continue to do his miraculous works in the world. The same Holy Spirit who impregnated Mary that day, who rose Jesus from the dead, is alive and active and working in each one of us. Guys, we are superheroes. I don't know if you guys understand that or not. Okay, but in the book of Romans, Paul says that we are more than conquerors. We've got God in us who can do anything. And we spend our entire lives trying to grasp what we are capable of as sons and daughters of God Almighty. And I think sometimes God looks down on us and says, why do you keep putting your Clark Kent clothes on? Get your cape out. Put your tights on. You're Superman. You're Superwoman. We have a responsibility to look one another in the eye and say, quit putting your Clark Kent clothes on. Get your cape out. God is in you. He can do anything. Nothing is impossible with him. That's what we're saying we believe. Do we live like that is true? When people look at our life, would they say, yep, there goes Superman? Yep. Or do they say, meh, it's an ordinary guy. He goes to church, but nothing special. We're getting ready to head into communion time, folks. Communion time is a, is a reminder. It's a reminder of what God has done for us so that what is true about the Holy Spirit living in us can be true as well, that Christ died, that he poured his blood out so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to God, so that the Holy Spirit could be in us, so that we can live in miraculous ways with a miraculous God. So let's remember what we're doing when we come forward today and what it is we're saying we're believing about God and about ourselves as we partake. So I'm going to pray for us, give you a couple moments of silence. Um, the ushers will come and dismiss you to come and take the bread, tear it off, dip it in the cup. We have the gluten-free option. It'll be down on this end if you need that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. 